You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Call Michael now. 041-98-3000. The Michael Reed Show. Brought to you by AirGrid. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Friday morning, the 8th of December. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Yesterday, the US Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, spoke about America's support for Israel in its campaign against Hamas and its onslaught of the Gaza Strip. Support for Israel so that the attack on Israel that occurred on the 7th of October never happens again. How Israel conducts the campaign matters. It matters a great deal, uh, particularly when it comes to doing everything possible to minimize harm to civilians as well as to maximize the assistance they're getting into people who need it so desperately. And of course, we're now into a new phase of the Israeli campaign. As we stand here almost a week into this campaign in the, the south after the end of the humanitarian uh, pause, it is imperative, it remains imperative that Israel put a premium on civilian protection. And there does remain a gap between exactly what, what I said when I was there the intent to protect civilians and the actual results that we're seeing uh, on the ground. So where are the problems that worry America in these gaps between what Israel has told the U.S. it will do and what is actually happening? Making sure that the communications are such that people know where they can go, when they can go there safely. Uh, Making very clear when the uh, periods of being able to move from one place to another uh, are in place. Um, in other words, these, uh, in effect, daily pauses, uh, making sure that those pauses apply not just to one neighborhood, but to a broader area so that, again, people have confidence to know that they can move out of harm's way and move to a safe area, making sure that the areas that they go to are fully um, resourced and supplied with things that people will need to get by while they're away from their homes. Some of uh, the U.S. concerns about uh, the Israeli offense in designated military zones. Also making sure that in areas that are clearly out of the the conflict zone, that they remain so, that military means not be used uh, in those areas. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken speaking yesterday. Joining me now is Yankee Fackler, a second-generation Holocaust survivor who lives in Dundalk and is the chair of uh, the Jewish Historical Society of Ireland. Good morning to you, Yankee, and uh, thanks for taking our call. Although, 
I believe uh, there's some confusion um, because uh, we were of the impression we were going to talk about uh, the conflict uh, in Gaza, but um, you don't want to talk about that. Is that correct? Yeah, I thought I thought that there was understood that I didn't want to talk about the conflict. There's plenty of um, uh, the, 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 the media is awash with that. I would rather speak about one of the um, very severe, um, if you like, side effects of what's happened in the last two and a half months is is anti-Semitism around the world, which is like shot up by three, four hundred percent. Okay. Uh, and what has been uh, the result of uh, that sentiment? Uh, it, it, it feels like, and it looks like, as if there was like some something beneath the surface for a long time, waiting to get out, and all of a sudden it became okay to stand up publicly and say, yeah, there was uh, nothing wrong with... Um, what Hamas was doing that was uh, um, legitimate. Um, and when the story of the rape uh, came up, um, first of all, there was total denial. And then when pushed a lot of a lot of bodies, a lot of people, talking heads, including women's rights organizations, um, said, well, you know, um, there, there, there was... It was very disturbing how suddenly things that would shock anybody, deliberate rape and, and much worse things. And I told you last time I didn't even want to describe some of the things that have happened, um, were swept aside in the, um, in the reaction to what's happened in the Middle East. But like um, Jewish students locked into their... Uh, rooms in universities in Britain and in America, and um, that's got nothing to do with what's happening in the Middle East. That's uh, that's like home terrorism, um, which is purely anti-Semitic. There's no other word for it. Okay. Um, can I just ask you uh, to explain what you said a, a moment ago? You said there were people who said what Hamas did was all right. I didn't hear anybody anywhere say uh, that there was any justification for what oh, lasted. You're not looking you're not looking at the same sources uh, as, as I am. Um, everywhere. Um, so there there is look, let me put it this way. Um, anyone who marches um, through the streets of uh, London or, or wherever singing from the river to the sea is saying we're on Hamas's side because in their charter they want to murder every Jew living in Israel. And if they don't understand what they're singing, then they should check first. So the the pro well, explain, explain, explain that to us. I, I don't understand okay. how you the can, river to the, yeah. Everyone is mm. chanting from the river to the sea. Yeah. The river is the River Jordan. Mm. The sea is the Mediterranean Sea. Yeah. What they're saying is, every, uh, I think it goes, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And the, the translation of that is, any Jew 
who lives between the River Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea um, is going to be murdered because there's no room for any Jews in that space. And people are singing that as they march. And that is, it, it, it's two things. It, first of all, it's giving Hamas a free pass and it's pure anti-Semitism. And if people are singing it and they don't know what they're singing, then they should check first before coming, becoming just part of the herd. I can't work out how you come to that conclusion, how you interpret people chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free as anti-Semitic or uh, indeed, uh, 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 or, or, or more to the point, uh, that they support the murder of Jews or I- I- Israelites. Of, of Israelis. Look, Israelis are Jews and that um, chant, it's not a new chant, but that chant is understood everywhere as meaning there will be no Jews between the river and the sea. So you tell me where 8 million Jews are going to go. You, you know what I'm saying? This is not, this is not a, um, a, how shall I say, this is not a far-fetched explanation. Everyone understands it. Everyone knows what it means. Um, and certainly the, uh, the organizers, um, I uh, know what it means, and I'll tell you something else. That that, Jew, that Jews, that Israelis will be murdered. Well, that's what, the... what, how else? How else can you interpret it? Just you tell me oh, well, where they're going to go. Where they're going to go? Well, I mean, there's a, a long-standing conflict since the establishment of Israel, uh, and uh, I'm not sure that if anybody has the solution, a two-state solution has been discussed for decades uh, at, uh, the, as things stand, uh, but as to whether there is any real solution, uh, it's impossible to say. It looks impossible because of the conflict, uh, yeah, which you were I, saying I, that I you don't want I'm to not, talk about. I hear you. Mm. I hear you. I'm not, yeah. I'm not talking about the conflict now. I'm talking about the fact that Hamas has in its charter that um, they must get rid of every Jew in Israel. That's yeah, in their but, charter. but don't mind Hamas. Um. <laughs> Wait a second, Michael. You say don't mind Hamas. It's the Hamas um, uh, murder spree on the 7th of October that unleashed an anti-Semitic wave all over the world. Campuses are no longer safe. Um... Uh, our own Alan Shatter has told, has warned any Jewish student from overseas mm. thinking of coming to an Irish university that they should think twice because it's not safe. Now, you know, talking about Jews not being safe. That's nonsense. That's what. Sorry? I, I say that's nonsense. Why? Well, where's the evidence that it, it isn't nonsense? For for Jewish people to study in Ireland, I've never heard such nonsense. Because Jewish students are telling us here in Ireland that it's that it's a very poisonous atmosphere. What's happening on campuses is, if you like, the uh, it's the tip of the iceberg. That it's a very public one. Mm. But so it, it's it's one thing students telling other students that. Uh, they're appalled that Israel has murdered 17,177 Palestinians and it's a separate thing altogether to suggest that because they feel that way they're going to shoot uh, another student because they're Jewish. 
No, I didn't. I didn't. Talk well, you about said it's not safe. Them. They're going to beat them up. They're going to punch them. They're going to. Said, you know something? Not not safe. Not safe is uh, is is what is, is what they're saying. Not just here. Everywhere. Okay. So so and what what, way, so what Michael, kind what, what Michael, kind what, what kind Michael, of just just explain. Let me understand what you mean. Just what kind of danger me, do they? No, sorry. One one thing I have to tell you. Um, last time we spoke, um, I I told you I totally object you're using the word murder. I'm not going into the conflict, but it is not murder, it is war. I and thought you had told me, Ireland. I thought you had told me you objected to the term genocide. Yes, uh, and murder. Okay, okay, right. right that, that, uh, I'll, add, I'll add that to the list then, because at the last time you told me you objected to the use of the word genocide. Yes. Okay, so, okay. Uh, okay, and, so and you don't want me to use Israel the word is murder. A, Israel is a war. And this war has unleashed anti-Semitism on a scale that you don't know about because that's okay because you're not you're not familiar with what's happening uh, on campuses um, well explain that's what I was going to ask you what type of danger are students telling you they are in not not danger discomfort well you said it's not, not safe it's, you said it's not safe yeah not not safe means you're not going to have an easy time because um, there is uh, a poisonous atmosphere, and be- that because you know, be- because the students object to people saying that Israel is murdering uh, seventeen thousand Palestinians, or so that there's been the genocide of uh, seventeen thousand. I, I was a student, any student, and uh, not not an Israeli student. But I was a Jewish student, and I was in one of the colleges um, in Ireland. And someone wants to attack me for what the state of Israel is doing in a state of war, that is being uncomfortable. That is feeling not safe. And, and seeing 800 academics um, signing a letter okay. in the Irish Times, mm. you know, that's not safe. So, so you, you, you don't want me uh, uh, as a reporter or as a media outlet or any media outlet to use the words murder or genocide in terms of uh, the Israeli conflict because it's a justified war and that people in Ireland are wrong to empathise with uh, people who are trapped, who have no way out, no, that, not, are, that, saying, that on a daily yeah, basis are, 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 are seeing no, men, yeah. women, children, the elderly uh, being Michael, struck down. Michael, um, this is war. And there was something in the paper yesterday. Again, someone in, in I can't remember which local paper, which Irish paper it was. And it was a, a, a vicious, um, I would say almost libelous attack on Israel. And I thought to myself, you know, we really in Ireland don't understand the concept of war. Well, what, why, why, do I why was it libelous? Let me finish. Mm-hmm. Let me finish. If the Allies, had not fought a war against Germany, then everybody in Europe would be under a mm. Nazi regime and nobody would be able to write anything. But you just heard your closest ally, the United States, voice concern yeah, about as to whether Israel is following the rules of war, because even in war there are rules and uh, the... 
uh, killing of civilians, uh, the mutilation of civilians should be avoided at all costs. I mean, what did 7,000 children ever do in Israel? Well, what did the um, 350 uh, teenagers attending a rave do to anybody for them to be murdered? But two wrongs and, don't know, make a right. No, 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 it's not a right. <laughs> yeah, but we're fighting against an enemy that declares it wants to annihilate us. We're fighting against 7,000 little so children want to annihilate us. No, no, don't, don't play numbers. Don't play numbers. On the 7th well, of October... one child, one child... Take what, one, what, take one indi- individual innocent life of a, a child who is being killed in Palestine. Uh, I- yeah. Is that justified? N- nobody wants to see children ever, anywhere, dying. No one. Ever. But this is war, and that's what happens in war. And the children in Gaza are being used as human shields. The, 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 the Hamas has got rockets in children's bedrooms. I mean, this is like, like we're not making this up. This is w- what we've always known, and now we're now we're <coughs> excuse me, mm-hmm. and now we're discovering that what was always known is true. So, you know, I think that the, the 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 people of Gaza are the first victims of Hamas, but but sort of that gets lost in the in the fog of war. I'm not justifying the death of any child never have done and never will do and I don't distinguish between whether the child is, uh, is Jewish or Muslim or, or Christian okay. um, but, but Israel now had to do something because if you stop now Hamas can do the same thing next week and they will if they could so again let me return to the effect around the world you have presidents of universities saying, I, I, I quote, not every um, case of genocide is, um, is necessarily bad. And that was talking about Hamas. I mean, I ask you, this is the president of a university, uh, one of the big universities. So something has been unleashed, Michael. Something vicious has been unleashed, which doesn't, has gotten, I mean, the, the, the cause was the start of the, was the attack by Hamas. But Jews around, there are marches in London and, 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 and where Jews are frightened to go into, into the West End because they've been attacked okay. and because it's not safe. Okay. It's all about safety. All right. Thank you indeed, uh, 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 Yankee. Uh, interesting to hear your thoughts um, uh, on the conflict, <laughs> despite... <laughs> saying that as you were coming on the air you didn't want to talk about the conflict uh, but thank you for joining us uh, interesting to hear your perspective on it all uh, and thank you for joining us as I say that's uh, Yankee Falker 086-1800-658 The Michael Reed Show brought to you by AirGrid managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it
Now, there are many objectors uh, to planning applications who are legitimate. They're not all chancers, according to Fine Gael, Fergus O'Dowd, who says the chancers have to be stopped and uh, they have to be stopped now. Fergus O'Dowd was uh, speaking in the Dáil yesterday on a debate around uh, the planning process and joins us now. And uh, a very good morning to you uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme. You were talking about a, a register of uh, objectors. Uh, how do you think that would help to stop what we saw on prime time on Monday night in Barry O'Kelly's report of these people looking for go-away money? I think the point was that was made is that they're effectively an NGO, a non-governmental organisation or an environmental body set up to do a particular job. Um, and the question was, were they bona fides or not? And was it reasonable that they would put in an objection or withdraw an objection if money was, was in, the, in the offering? And I think that shocked an awful lot of people, including myself and indeed everybody in the door is deeply concerned about that process. So mm. like, if we have a register, in other words, if, you know, if you take on task or take any community or local organisation, um, if they register uh, with, you know, with, with us, now I know it's going to be a bit cumbersome, I accept that. Uh, maybe if they register with the county council, you know, they, they put in the reference to the planning permission they're objecting to, who they are, you know, what the, you know who did, who, who's involved in it. You know, you see very clearly mm. then whether whether it was or was not a bona fide organisation. And, and that would be the start of it. Now, I, I accept, Michael, there are issues with that because I could still try and cod the, the system and pretend there was A, B and C. But I think most people would accept that there are bona fide organisations, say if you're people objecting to something locally, they have a legitimate right to object. Um, and if they're on a register, uh, you know, that, you know, that they have a name, address, a phone number, they have, you know, but that is it's completely and utterly above board. Mm. Uh, and that would allow them to go to the next stage of the process. And if somebody wasn't bona fide, uh, if they weren't actually what they said they were, well, then you'd find that out very quickly or you wouldn't register at all. Mm. And therefore, they wouldn't or couldn't object, Michael, as a group. Okay. Uh, you know, You're also talking uh, about uh, the Drogheda Port Access Route and the 5,000 houses that will come yeah. with uh, the expansion of uh, Drogheda and how in, in January you're going to be bring a Drogheda City Bill to the Dáil. Yes, now the bill is almost ready. Uh, it's it's in its final stage of preparation. And the, my point yesterday, and I think there's nobody would disagree with this, is that if Drogheda is 44,000 people at the moment, <clears throat> and if Galway was made a city when it was about 38,000 people, why shouldn't Drogheda be a city? And who's going to look after the 44,000 plus the new 20,000? That would be over... 60,000 people living in, in what is the designated town of Drogheda without a manager, without an assistant manager, without any local place, one-stop shop you could go to about issues. And that's the big gripe everybody has, I believe, about the way local government was changed and where, where I believe it needs to go back. And mm. I, my idea is that if we make Drogheda a city, uh, then there should be uh, resources given to that and what happened in Galway was the county manager of the county of Galway became the, the, the city manager of Galway when it, when it became a city first. 
and then when they moved on from that job, a new post of manager uh, for the county and the city, separate posts were created. Uh, that, that's the way I'd like to see it happening here, and there is continuity. So there are other issues as well, Michael, which cause concern, obviously, yeah. how you transfer staff and you know assets and all of that. But I think the key thing is, if Drogheda becomes a city, it means a commitment to administration locally, and, you know, obviously to move on from there. I think you said everything is being done in Dundalk at the moment, didn't you? Well, it is. Well, I mean, in, in fairness to people who live in Dundalk, there's nothing wrong with Dundalk. People do the job for Dundalk. Okay. Yeah. Uh, or indeed, you know, people do the job anywhere. But what I'm saying is that you need a place in County Loud, in mm. Drogheda, that is a centre for that, that, that city. And that's where the administration should be based. And that's okay. my strong belief and I believe it, it stands up to scrutiny. But, but, but by like anyone's that, standards you're talking about a, a massive uh, expansion of uh, the town with the 5,000 houses will come in around 20,000 people uh, as you say and that will need to be managed but uh, staying with the go away money, we've seen go away money being paid oh. over in Drogheda are, are you concerned about the planning applications uh, for uh, these 5,000 houses and how they could get bogged down in the planning process and is that something that should be looked at now? Well, I think most of these houses, as far as I know, now as we know, one of them was the subject of of, of the, the program, and I don't have the specific detail on the ins and outs of it. But it was very clear what the developer faced and, and what he did about it. I think that most of those houses now have planning permission, <clears throat> and and one of the points I made yesterday was that the delay in the planning allows people, you know, to 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 try and manipulate the issue for financial gain and mm. I showed that in 2019 if you made an appeal to Port Planola, it was decided in 18 weeks whereas in September of this year it, it took 46, 47 weeks for that decision to be made so where there is a delay to development and uh, this was a, a, you know an administrative delay Mm. It, it meant that other things can happen or did happen. Okay. Just, it, sorry, Michael, I'm yeah. sorry, just very briefly before we run out of time, uh, can I ask you about fire certificates? Uh, this is proving yeah, problematic yeah. as well, and you explained this in the doll yesterday, but you were telling uh, your colleagues in the doll that there's hundreds of beds lying idle in uh, Drogheda, isn't it? Well, it's actually, it, it's, a, it's a Drogheda person, who, who is a small actor nationally, but he has he has in four different parts. Now, one of them is in Drogheda, but there are other parts of the country, people he's working with, who have available resources. But because, uh, and they've been agreed that they would be taken up, but because the fire officer can't sign off on them, because the fire officers are so busy and don't have the resources uh, to do them more quickly, uh, there's nobody in these properties. That's why people are sleeping off in Dublin probably tonight. Okay. Um, there and, the, and, uh, and there's 250 beds there waiting on a fire station. Right, definitely. That's one person is aware of 250 beds. And I have a question, Michael, I'll have the answer next week. How many beds nationally are in that situation? I'm sure it must be at least a thousand. Okay. Thousand. That's shocking. All right, we leave it there. Thank you very much indeed for joining us on the program this morning. Finnegal TD for Loud and Dee Smith, Ferguson Doubt. Michael at lmfm.ie. 
The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. A few people in touch with us about uh, the opening interview this morning with Yankee Fackler. Bear with me, I'll come to those comments. I promise I will come to those comments uh, in a, a short few minutes if you bear with us. I'm still uh, taking stock myself, to be honest. Uh, but if you want to make a comment on the programme today, 0419832000, our phone number, text or WhatsApp, 0861800658, email michael at lmfm.ie. Now, let's go to North Louth and Sinn Féin Councillor Anton Waters. And a very good morning, Anton, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme here. People have been hearing you already this morning on LMFM News. And uh, there's uh, some concern about uh, the humanitarian aid that has been made available to people locally uh, who fell victim to the recent flooding. Good morning, Michael, and yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, look, following on from our municipal meeting on Tuesday night, um, where I raised concerns in relation to, I suppose, the schemes that have been made available and were, you know, they're supposed to be the, the way to get people back into their homes, back into their businesses. And unfortunately, um, over the last couple of weeks, I've had a lot of residents on, both in council houses and in private houses, who are finding it very difficult to get um, stuff covered um, what I mean by that is we have issues where people, I have some homeowners, families coming up to Christmas who can't get into their houses where their driveways are still blocked with debris that has come out of rivers. Um, we still have some tenants in houses who are unable to get tables, chairs, couches, you know, just basically the necessities purchased um, in the lead up to Christmas, Michael. So mm. um, I have been asking the council, and in fairness to the council housing department, to have been working with them and to have um, provided some stuff, but I'm still trying to work with them on other items. Um, I know even people trying to dry out their homes, Michael, it's very expensive with a dehumidifier, and it costs an awful lot of money to run it. So even people's ESB bills, which come every two months, like uh, if they're not on prepaid power, there's big bills waiting for them in the new year. So nice. these are all issues that um, are affecting people locally. I, 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 and I'm working issues for them. whom, though? You may mentioned Louth County Council. Is it not an issue for the Department of Social Protection? It is, yeah. The humanitarian mm. scheme is through the Department of Social Protection. So it's issues for them. Like, and I have been liaising with them since the start of the flooding in relation to, uh, you know, irregularities that aren't covered, you know. And I'm working, and it, as I said, I'm at the meeting and kind of trying to get one point of contact. And I have said this at meetings before where we should have had one point of contact for all the questions, Michael, instead mm. of having to go from A to B to C and back there again to try and get answers because at the end of the day, these people have gone through enough stress, strain, and their whole lives were turned upside down and we're just trying now and I'm working particularly with a number of residents who just want to get back into their homes for Christmas, Michael. Right, and is it that the fund isn't what was promised, uh, isn't living up to expectations, not covering what people were told would be covered because we were all under the impression, especially after uh, the generous funding given in Cork, that people would be compensated for all of their losses? Yeah, and that's what people, like I wasn't at all the meetings that happened when forms have been filled out, but people have been telling me that they were promised X and they haven't got anywhere near X, and that's the problem, and they're left with a shortfall, and like you go and try and buy tables, chairs and a couch, it's a lot of money. And all they are is basic items. You're not looking for luxury items. It's just to get you back into your home. But you might be looking for luxury items. I mean, this is the point, isn't it? You want to replace what was there. If you had luxury items, that's what you want to replace. 
True, good point, yeah. And there is people who have spent there in, in certain items. I look, everyone can do whatever they want in their own home. Mm. But yes, there is cases where you're not getting like for like replaced. And that's an issue for people too. And rightly so, because we all work very hard to keep our home and do whatever bits of work you're doing to your home. And unfortunately, there was some people who recently decorated and got new carpet and all this. Yeah. And all that was destroyed because during the floods, you weren't thinking, let's protect the carpet. You're thinking, I want to make sure everyone's safe. I want to make yeah. sure everybody's okay here and that kind of went out the window you know so you're there's a lot of damage done throughout the properties all around the place like yeah, I was and, so, in, uh, and you might have somebody who feels they should have refurbished five or ten years ago and didn't and now this is an opportunity uh, and it'll swing both ways to some extent with a, a scheme like this uh, but it is not doing what it said it would on the tin no, no, not from the people that have been in contact with me, Michael, and over the last number of weeks, look, after the initial um, floods, like the amount of people who are still in contact, who are still waiting to be mm. assessed, and I know there's a backlog, I think there could be 50, 60, 70 applications in, and there is a backlog, and I understand that, but we need to try, we're two weeks away from Christmas now. Yeah. Um, Did you like, say people are still not in their homes? No, I say it still need to be assessed. So there is everybody is in their home right. as far as I'm okay. aware. Yeah. There is one or two people who have had a move out into alternative accommodation, but they are in they are living somewhere. Yeah, okay, no, but they haven't been able people. to move back into their own house. No, yeah, there is, right, yeah, right. I know of at least two people who aren't, two families who aren't in their own home, yeah. Right, well, that's dreadful, of course, coming yeah. into Christmas. Mm. Yeah, and like, so, like, what I'm trying to do is we are liaising with the humanitarian scheme, the Red Cross scheme, and I know the Red Cross scheme was extended until the 15th, I think it's the 15th of December, but following on from that, like, and the meeting uh, we had on Tuesday where... I, the council were saying it's Inland Fisheries Ireland who are responsible for the river. So this is kind of fought, uh, fought, uh, moving on from the damage that was done, Michael. Yeah. It's looking at the preventative work. So I have a meeting organised with Inland Fisheries on Monday where I will be discussing what can be done. And, you know, if you walk around the peninsula, Michael, and you do all the time, if you have a look and see the damage that has been done to homes, but also to agricultural land and farms all around the country, all around the county, North Lake part, it, it's significant damage. Like one farmer in particular, uh, he sent me pictures of work he had to do just to access his farmyard to get in to get, you know, right. to get meal, to get silage, to feed animals. Mm. It's not, um, you know, it's just a necessity to try and access and it's significant damage. And unfortunately, mm. there's been no funding for these farmers. And yeah. um, myself and Rory have been trying to liaise with the Department of Agriculture to request for a scheme to look and try and deal with this. Like I had one farmer who lost, I think it was 10 tonne of barley feed that he crushes for cattle. Like that's a significant loss. Cattle's all in on slats now. Yeah, um, for the winter, I know um, it's a big, big issue, and it's trying. And it's the cost of that, and you're putting out that outlay of a couple of thousand euro to get feed in to feed the animals, and there's nothing there to help recover it. And that's I also just, tried I'm under sorry, the uh, Red Cross scheme, sorry, Michael, to see if farms could be covered under that scheme because in farms are business entities, but it won't be covered. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm out of time. I have to leave it there, though. Thank you, indeed, Sinn Fein councillor Anton Waters. Call Michael now. 041-983-2000. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it.
Well, if you were listening to us uh, yesterday, you'd have heard people before Prophet T.D. Breed Smith quoting the Pogues in the doll to independent TD Matty McGrath. Well, it's uh, certainly a, a day where we say goodbye to an Irish legend. So let's talk about uh, the Pogues, immigration and Shane's funeral. Breed Smith is on the line and uh, a very good morning to you, Breed Smith and thanks for joining us on uh, the programme today. Maybe you'd explain to our listeners why you were quoting the Pogues to Matty it's McGrath. Different. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Just tell me, can you hear me all right? Yeah, perfectly. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, the debate was about the, the project members' uh, motion that uh, Matty McGrath's office had drafted, and uh, it was about immigration, saying that there's too many of them, we need to control it, we need to put a cap on it, they're a problem, they're a threat, people feel frightened of them, they take up resources, blah, 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 blah. And it just prompted me to, to think about Shane and what he sat and what he wrote about, which was mostly about immigration. But of course it was about Ireland uh, and, and its immigration problem, which we've had in my lifetime. There's been exodus, I think, about three times in, in my 66 years from this country. In the 80s, I was one of those who exited uh, to get work abroad. And uh, it's, it's such a feature of being Irish um, that his, his songs were very, very moving. I think we could all relate to them. I think we could all sense the, uh, what he was expressing in terms of the alienation and the isolation that goes with emigration um, and how it is to not be wanted uh, wherever you end up. And it reminded me of the song Thousands Are Sailing. I know Shane himself didn't actually write it, but he sang it beautifully. Mm. And one of the lines in it, and that's the line I quoted in the doll, is uh, Thousands Are Sailing Again Across the Ocean where the hand of opportunity draws tickets in a lottery. And for many human beings across the planet, that's what life is like. It's like don't want a ticket in a lottery because it's there but for fortune for you or I and per chance you do well and per chance you won't or you could end up um, not, not being able to make a life for yourself. And my basic argument, and always is my argument when it comes to this topic, is that with every hungry belly there comes a pair of hands and a brain and those um, those are gifts that we're given as human beings to use to interact with the planet and the world around us. And in other words, to work. And every human being can work, but they're not given the right to work uh, automatically when they when they arrive here. And many of them, I read a very sad article actually yesterday from a Syrian man who spent six months in a tent here in Ireland. There's an official tent mm. for um, uh, for um, refugees mm-hmm. under application. And a very highly trained, highly educated man wasn't able to work, and he said it was the most depressing and frustrating experience. But as well as them making a contribution to society, we gain from it. Our society is richer, is better off, and we need lots of workers. Dublin bus, Irish rail, hospitals, care homes are screaming out for workers, and we can't get them. Well, if we we sent them all home, as some would say... Uh, we wouldn't have any healthcare system. Uh, uh, well, we wouldn't absolutely. have any buses. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have any restaurants. Uh, we, and we and, have nobody finds their mummies at the nursing home. Yeah, and as and as things go on, um, and the Irish population continues to age, uh, that uh, problem uh, will get worse. If you like uh, the workforce shortage, we need more people into this country. Yes, yeah, the demand for workers is there at the moment. This economy is doing very well. 
we're one of the richest countries in the world, and I and, and we have lots of space. We're we're not densely populated at all. Now, how the government handles it is another question. How do you you know say to communities there's a an empty hotel here? We we're taking it over, and so many people are coming in. And how do you, um, how do you make sure you have the resources? And this is where people do have an argument and have a, have a, um, a legitimate problem. Is that we don't have enough housing, mm. we don't have enough GPs, we don't have enough uh, special needs assistance in schools. There's, we're very short of services. We're short of them anyway. And the refugees are not to blame for that. But it, when um, resources are stretched, it makes it easy to scapegoat them. And this is why I think the, the, the finger has to be pointed and wagged at the government for their failure in providing the public services that are required in this country. And if we did that and put those people into an opportunity where they could work and live here, I think it would be a different uh, scenario. And I quoted Shane McGowan because he's a temporary man, and I've no doubt Matthew McGraw will be at his funeral today. And yes, he would take a very different view of immigrants to the view that Shane had. You'll be at Shane's funeral yourself today, I think. I'm, I'm, going down to, I'm going downtown now to, 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 you know, pay my... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'd be part of the uh, crowd that will be standing on Pierce Street. Um, but I want to be there because I'm i quite sad about him and his life. But he, he, he enriched my life, that's for sure. Mm. Because mm. as a young woman, I used to go to the gigs, the Pogues gigs, and I went to one gig he did in Shinron, which is the village, I think, where his parents, one of his parents comes from, and uh, he he did a, a gig there in the community hall. It was brilliant, but it was with not with the Pogues, with the Popes. Um, uh, and the Pogues were definitely superior as musicians, but um, it was a great gig, and I, I, I'm delighted I was in such an up-close and personal environment, sat at the bar with him. He mm. didn't talk to me, but we sat at the bar... Um, in the same space having a drink um, and uh, yeah, it was nice very nice to have that memory ah, yeah, he's a, a lovely fella I met him once uh, interviewed him once a long long time ago uh, really 
Uh, a really, really nice fellow, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, nice one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you still have a recording of that no, interview? No, no. And do you know oh. what? I, 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 I've interviewed, I don't know how many people over the years, but it is the most important interview I ever did in my mind. And no, I don't have a recording of it. Um, oh, there's a shame. Yeah, there's yeah. a real shame. Yeah, yeah, but it was many, many years ago, and uh, the thing I remember most about it, of course, is uh, that uh, inimitable laugh of his. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, just, yeah. it's like mostly after wacky races, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. but su- su- such a profound man, such a, a profound man, mm. which shows in his writing and... Mm. Um, oh, uh, totally. Yeah, uh, and the caring poetry man. Is, yeah, the poetry is very beautiful and very gentle and very... Um, you know he, you know he really was emotional about stuff, you know. Yeah, mm. um, and intelligent, and yeah, yeah very, mm. yeah, well, uh, great uh, legacy. I was talking to Stuart Clark about him the other day, and I think anybody uh, who could write the old main drag knows uh, and yes, has an understanding absolutely. of what it is to be marginalised. Yeah, uh, and uh, and he, he he never forgot his roots, and he never forgot the fact that he was Irish, even though he was born in London, and he himself uh, was an emigrant or an immigrant, uh, and uh, sang those words so. Fabulously, uh, that great Phil Chevron song. Thousands of Irish people are sailing again across the ocean, where the hand of opportunity draws tickets in a lottery for some Irish people. Uh, if you change that to some other race of uh, people coming into this country, uh, the, it would give uh, the far right plenty to talk about. Uh, but that's yeah. it in reverse, isn't it? It is absolutely, and I, I, I think it reminds us that. We're, we all share the one planet, and uh, there's no there's no reason for the hostility towards each other. You know, we have to share the planet. We have no choice. We're born here. We have to live on the planet together. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I uh, I hope that things change and that things turn around. But we do need a new government that's going to take the housing crisis and the health crisis seriously. And if we could achieve that and get people motivated to. Um, you know, build Ireland in the way that it's inclusive. I think it could be an absolutely amazing uh, experience. All right. Listen, thanks uh, very much for talking to us uh, today. Much appreciated. That's uh, People Before Prophet T. Daybreed Smith. Now, let me bring you some of uh, those comments coming to us uh, today. Uh, we had uh, a text from Margaret who says, Michael, these adults from Hamas and Israel might not see eye to eye, but from the rest of the world looking in. You're an educated man, Michael. Please explain this to an ordinary Irish woman. Uh, well, before I uh, even read it, uh, I have to tell you, I'm not a very well-educated man at all, Margaret. Anyway, but she says, why are there over two million people corralled into a piece of land smaller than Loud? Tell me, Michael, where is the justice in killing innocent women and children? What Hamas did, murdering innocent Jewish people and other nationalities on the 7th of October, was horrific. But how does Israel justify innocent children losing their mothers and fathers? It's ironic how this war, as it's called, seems one-sided. So where is the justice, Michael? Final thought, Michael, while listening to your guest speaker, uh, this is Yankee Fackler. If Hamas is so powerful... Why is this war so one-sided? That's what the world wants to ask now. 
Thanks, Margaret, as always. I'll come to more of the messages later. You're under awful time pressure this morning, whatever uh, is happening. But uh, do please keep calling. I'll come to more messages later. 0419832000 or phone number, text or WhatsApp. 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Call Michael now. 0419832000. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by Airgrid. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. You've been hearing all morning uh, this uh, startling headline about how terminally ill cancer patients are are dying in their homes in the cold because uh, they can't afford to turn the heat on. Let's uh, hear a little bit more about this. Emma Hart is Policy Coordinator for the Irish Cancer Society. Good morning to you, Emma. Thanks for joining us uh, on the programme this morning. Uh, And this information comes following a survey of 61 palliative care nurses. Tell us a, a little bit more about what the nurses have been discovering in people's homes, if you would, please. Good morning, Michael, and thanks for having me on today. Um, yes, so the Irish Cancer Society funded Dr. Suzanne Denis from Southeast Technological University and her team to examine energy hardship for people with a life-limiting cancer diagnosis. Um, and as you said, 61 nurses um, responded to this uh, study and overall the findings were quite stark. So nurses witnessed energy hardship in households. One in three said that they experienced patients' homes without heating and half of the nurses reported evidence of financial hardship in the homes that they visited. So most nurses reported that there were drafts, condensation and damp and just around half of the nurses said that the homes they visited didn't have central heating uh, and that there was mould present in the home. Mm. Right, uh, and when you have a, a terminal diagnosis like that, uh, there's a, a huge range uh, in terms of life expectancy. It can be a matter of days mm-hmm. or, or, or a matter of years. So is it that people are living in these conditions for a matter of years? Um, that's not information I have in front of me, but mm-hmm. what we do know is that regardless of how long a person has been ill, everybody deserves to have a good quality of life and particularly a good quality of life at the end of life. And so that's what we're really concerned by. And this is why we've um, proposed a suite of recommendations for the mm-hmm. government to follow, including a household benefits package, fuel allowance payment and additional needs payment with the only qualifying criteria for people at the end of life to be their life-limiting cancer diagnosis, just to alleviate some of the cumbersome administrative processes they might otherwise have to go through with a means test. And we'd also ask for electricity credits for this group of people as well for the remainder of their life. Sure, yeah. I, I suppose it, it's not something that any of us want to think about. We don't want to contemplate our own demise, but uh, behind it all, whether it's subconsciously or otherwise, we all will hope that we will die with dignity. Uh, and uh, this uh, certainly wouldn't be the case uh, in these circumstances if you can't afford to turn on the heating, because not only are you terminally ill, uh, and perhaps uh, you've some time left on this planet, uh, but obviously when you're sick like that, Uh, You're restricted in what you can do, plus your illness, and you're going to need heat more than most people will. Yeah, that's right. Um, And so comfort really does need to be a priority here. We know for people um, at the end of life that they can experience the cold more, um, you know, and then other electricity costs kind of come to play. For example, you know, their clothes and their bedding must be washed more often. And a lot of people may rely on electronic medical devices. So again, like, you know, if we come back to the issue of the cold, it will adversely impact on a person's physical and mental well-being. Um, mm. and, and, and this is really what we're worried about for people at end of life. 
Okay, uh, and nurses have come across people living in homes that have been damp, uh, they've seen yeah. mould, uh, and some of the nurses have reported uh, that uh, terminally ill patients are, are struggling to afford to feed themselves. Yeah, so um, most of the nurses, about 7 in 10, said that they actually had conversations with um, households, patients, families, um, about their financial situation. Um, and so, yeah, about one in five of these nurses said that, you know, households had difficulty affording suitable food. Uh, you also had about two in three nurses who talked about households' difficulty affording home heating. Three in five nurses were talking about households' difficulty in paying bills. So this comes down to utilities bills, also mortgage and rent payments. Um, and so it all kind of adds up for people. And, you know, a cancer diagnosis can be quite costly. Um, in general, so at a time where a person is diagnosed with cancer, household inco- income typically mm. decreases while you know, your day-to-day expenses continue and then potentially new expenses will emerge such as cost of medication, uh, the cost of hospital car parking, it all adds up. Mm. Did I see €1,500 uh, euro in income can be lost uh, following a cancer diagnosis? Yeah, so we did a real cost of cancer study uh, and on average people reported that they lost about 50 households, I should say, Mm. reported that they lost 1,500 in income over the course of a month. So, you know, if you add that up over the course of a calendar year, that could potentially be up to 18,000 a year. My God, and that could, I suppose, um, be possibly, if you like, feeding into an ability to turn on the heat, to afford the heating, as uh, the case may be. You say you you want people with a a terminal diagnosis uh, to be entitled to the household benefits package, uh, which would uh, address a a lot of that. Um, Do we know uh, how many people we're talking about or what that would mean in terms of cost, in other words? So what we do know so far is that every year about 9,000 people die from cancer. Um, and roughly around two to 3,000 will, will die in their home uh, and others will die across other settings. Um, so we don't have a figure in mind uh, in particular, but we do know that we're talking about this size of a population. Mm. And are cancer patients uh, treated like that elsewhere? Is it the type of support that they get uh, in other countries? Um, that I'm unaware of, but what we really want to kind of underline here is that in Ireland, we really believe that we can offer people a good quality of life at the end of life, uh, particularly heating, comfort, uh, alleviating some of the financial stress associated with worrying about how to pay for your next bill. And um, We believe that this is a really important thing that our government can deliver, and what we're pointing to are existing mechanisms that can be extended to this group. Okay, we leave there for the moment. Uh, it is heartbreaking to think of uh, people in that situation. I, I'm sure your message has resonated with everybody, Emma, and I'm sure uh, that it'll be heard far and wide. And thank you indeed uh, for telling us a, a little bit more uh, about that dreadful headline uh, that most of us uh, found. Uh, very, very disturbing this morning. Emma Hart is uh, the policy coordinator with uh, the Irish Cancer Society. Now, let's uh, go back uh, to some more of uh, the comments coming to us uh, this morning. We were speaking with Yankee Fackler uh, earlier on in the programme uh, this morning, and Yankee prompted a few comments to us. Uh, Tony in County Louth uh, has been texting in. He says, 
Why is uh, this Jewish representative allowed onto your programme and set his own conditions on what he will and will not talk about? Uh, it's no wonder he doesn't want to talk about the present conflict and uh, the vast disproportionate results of a very one-sided conflict. Uh, well, if I can answer your question, Tony, um, we'd agreed with Yankee Fackler to talk about the Israeli-Hamas conflict. That was uh, the invitation, and the invitation was accepted. And as we were making contact uh, with Yankee Fackler this morning, when you were listening to the ads, uh, Yankee Fackler was telling us he didn't want to talk about the conflict. He wanted to talk about anti-Semitism. And I suppose uh, there were a few things to that. One of them was that we could have said... Uh, yes, which we did, um, uh, and we took Yankee. Um, there was another option, and that was on the occasion of it being Shane's funeral, I could have sung Fairy Tale of New York. Uh, but uh, then there was also the other point, which I thought was interesting, which was to hear what the argument was and why Yankee Fackler wanted to talk about anti Semitism and why uh, he um, pulled the stunt he did this morning. And there's no other way of putting it. But he, he pulled us on. I said, okay, go on, go on. You're, you're pulling a stunt, but go on. Uh, you kind of have us in a bind. I'm not sure how keen people will be hearing me uh, sing the fairy tale of New York or whatever else. Uh, but um, it, it, it was all the more interesting then to hear um, Yankee talk about the conflict. Uh, he spoke about a little else, in fact. <laughs> uh, and um, I don't know. I don't know if I do it all again, but it certainly was very interesting. Tony, thanks uh, for your message. He goes on to say, one side uh, is backed and supplied by the greatest military power in the world, the United States, while the other has nothing but a few homemade rockets and uh, second-hand Kalashkinovs. And he is quite incorrect. Nobody condoned what Hamas did on the 7th of October, but that does not mean the vindictive complete destruction of all life and homes to the point that Palestinians may never be able to return which I think may be what is wanted by Netanyahu. Uh, can it be justified? One would think that a race that suffered genocide in their own recent history would be much more humane in their actions. Thank you, Tony, in County Loud, for that. Uh, another comment uh, that comes to us uh, from Noel, who says, Hi, Michael. Yankee? That's the appropriate name for that man trying to justify the slaughter of uh, the unfortunate Palestinians, if he's so concerned about the Jews in colleges and elsewhere, he should be vetoing the Israeli government to stop this genocide. Instead, he's on the radio spreading his propaganda. I would like to remind him the conflict didn't begin on the 7th of October. Thanks uh, for that, Noel. Uh, indeed, it didn't, and it has uh, been... Uh, dreadful war so far uh, and it's far from over but it really has been a dreadful war it continues and it will continue for some time uh, I think the last 24 hours uh, 36 hours has seen uh, some of uh, the worst fighting uh, and indeed some of uh, the most destruction and highest volume of deaths I will hear a, a little bit about uh, the pressures that health workers are under uh, and uh, the United Nations are under in terms of trying to bring aid to the region now. Uh, this is uh, the United Nations Chief of Aid, Martin Griffiths. We do not have a humanitarian operation 
in southern Gaza that can be called by that name anymore. That the pace of the military assault in southern Gaza is a repeat of the assault in northern Gaza. That it has made no place safe for civilians in southern Gaza, which had been a cornerstone of the humanitarian plan to protect civilians and thus to provide aid to them. But without places of safety, that plan is in tatters. And so what we have at the moment in Gaza, northern Gaza even more difficult, but in Gaza where we have trucks still crossing daily through the Rafa crossing, is at best humanitarian opportunism to try to reach through some roads which are still accessible, which haven't been mined or destroyed, to some people who can be found where some food or some water or some other supply can be given. But it's a program of opportunism. It's erratic. It's undependable. And frankly, it's not sustainable. That's Martin Griffiths, who's uh, the United Nations Under Secretary General for Humanitarian Affairs and uh, the Emergency Relief Coordinator. 086 1800 658. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Sean has been WhatsApping as, as well uh, ages ago. Sorry, Sean. Uh, I should have come to your message earlier. Sean says, I, I, I know it's a cruel thing to say, but why are we being asked to give money to UNICEF or other charities? I take it, uh, Sean, to help children being slaughtered and being bombed out of their houses by the Israelis using weapons supplied by the USA. You can't open your mouth and say anything about a Jew without being called anti-Semitic. If it is anti-Semitic to say Israel is illegally killing children, then I am certainly anti-Semitic, says Sean. Uh, Well, I I doubt you are, Sean, and I take the point, and uh, I I don't think that it is anti-Semitic to say that. Indeed, I think a lot of people would feel that it's wrong to kill children. In fact, it's against the rules of war, isn't it? Paddy Duffy in touch with us saying Netanyahu knows that this so-called war ends, or the day it ends, his goose is cocked in Israel and worldwide. He's already considered a war criminal by many. The only way this conflict will end is when the US completely withdraws its support, says Paddy. Uh, we'd uh, somebody else in touch saying uh, people like Alan Shatter and that man on there, Yankee Fackler, should stop trying to stir up trouble in our country. We didn't cause the war between Israel and uh, the Palestinians. So if those students feel unsafe, they have an option as free citizens, says a Navin listener. Thank you indeed. Uh, another text from somebody who says, My parents emigrated to this country in the 70s. They worked, paid their taxes, taxes and rare families. So I understand emigration, but by not allowing a discussion on immigration and if we at the stage are not able to handle any more without further planning... Uh, calling Matty McGrath names because he vocalised some questions is not helpful in any way. Um, thank you indeed. Uh, I'm not sure what names anybody called Matty McGrath. 
Uh, but thanks uh, for that. And I think uh, most people would uh, agree with you. Uh, and I think Breed Smith was making the point uh, that there's all sorts of problems in this country that need to be tackled, like housing, like health, like crime. Uh, and uh, they're uh, indeed uh, part of the reason why we need to have um, that conversation because we need to sort out those problems so uh, that we don't ha- have anti-immigrant sentiment, I suppose. Uh, we'd uh, Pat McDade and Drogheda in touch with us. He says, just for the sake of accuracy, Thousands Are Sailing was written by Phil Philip Chevron, fellow Pogue member, and in my humble opinion, Chevron's version, particularly the vocal, is way superior to McGowan's. May Shane now rest in peace, R.I.P., says Pat. Thanks very much indeed, Pat McDade, uh, for that. Uh, in fairness, Breeden Smith did say uh, it was a Phil Chevron song, uh, but that Shane McGowan had sung it beautifully. But the thing that has really disappointed me is that nobody texted it and asked me to sing the fairy tale of New York. I said if somebody did it before 10.35, too late. Sorry. Oh, well, maybe next year. <laughs> okay. Um, we uh, text early this morning from John. I held off uh, with this, John, uh, before we went uh, to the feature on... The comments made by Helen McEntee about Dublin rioters. John says, uh, oh, Helen McEntee calls members of uh, the public scumbags. This woman is a disgrace using such language, but what more can we expect from somebody who uses their position with impunity? That's John's opinion. Thanks for sharing it with us, John. Now, as I say, we're going to hear uh, more about this now uh, and uh, a little bit more than whether... Should she or should she have not uh, said that that word or those words, uh, thugs and scumbags? Um, We're going to go to the Justice Committee, uh, which sat yesterday and hear this contribution, first of all, from Independent Senator Lynn Rowan. Did you say that there is no personal circumstance that led to people's involvement in the riots? Was that the sentence? No, I'm I'm saying there should be no excuse or personal situation that for, like, there, there is no personal situation that forces a person to put something that's on fire into a guard car. There's no personal situation but the, see, that would ever problem. force somebody but to that, do that. You're, you're not forced to go out onto no, the streets the and to lose so and riot the, and that's burn. That's the misunderstanding, right? Because there is, right? Because rationality and reason don't intersect in a moment like that when somebody has been ostracised for a year. You, don't, you would have to literally have done a study of all of those people who engaged. You would have to have had several therapeutic interventions with all of those people who engaged to understand their intent and understanding of what they were doing and why they were doing it. Some people who lacked purpose felt that all of a sudden there was a purpose. Some people felt that they were finally standing up for themselves against something. You would have to have a full analysis of the intentions of people. Of course, that doesn't excuse it. or That doesn't mean that you're not saying somebody shouldn't be held accountable. But you cannot end people's driver towards this stuff if we don't understand the personal circumstances that lead to it. And the idea that people can grow up in a community and some will commit crimes and some won't. It was in my own household. My brother had no involvement in crime. I very much did. People are different. Their sensitivities to the world are different. Their perspectives are different. The experience that they may have within the family, on the street, within their community, they're all different. So I don't think that that statement is fair and I think it's that type of statement to say that there's no personal circumstances that okay. can be the root cause of why people will go out there in a rage and get involved in something like that it actually doesn't allow us to actually address it. that's going back to the first conversation okay. around causes okay Senator thanks 
do you, do you want to come Just, back? I, 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 yeah. I think you know me, Senator, in terms of I absolutely believe that people can change, that people who have been involved in crime, you know, I, I, I met a group of wonderful men when I was down in Cork recently in a project where they had spent years involved in crime, they had addiction problems, there were issues. I absolutely believe that people should be able to turn their lives around and, you know, where they have inflicted uh, pain on other people as well. That, that's not to say they can't change, but what I'm saying is you can't excuse what happened the other day. I've, but I've not yeah, No, and, and I know you're not, I'm but I, I'm just saying... We, no, don't ask the, we don't ask the why. No, and and I appreciate that, but no matter what happened to someone, those individuals were not forced. I mean, somebody could have... Like, we don't know what could have happened here, but nobody forced those then individuals. That's the failure to okay. understand the irrationality the... of violence and responses. Independent Senator Lynn Rowan and the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, uh, speaking at the Oireachtas Justice Committee yesterday, Margaret uh, texting us this morning saying, what should the people who rioted be called? Should they be regarded as good Irish people? Should we say, well done, you did us proud? What is wrong in this country when people no longer want to hear the truth? Is it because the truth hurts? Well, tough if it does. These rioters caused untold damage to property by looting, burning buses, squad cars, a tram. They attacked Gardaí, had people trapped in shops, denying them their civil liberties. So, yes, I agree with Minister McEntee. They are scumbags who moan and whinge about everything except everything yet expect everything, I'm sorry, yet all they do is cause trouble. Thanks, Margaret, uh, for that. Uh, and we'll take up on that point and return to the Justice Committee. Do you think it's appropriate at this stage for you to apologise for using the, the term scumbag? Which is not a policing issue. This is a, a pol- well, so policing no, it's, it's, sorry, it's a resp- it it's, it's, it's a comment made by the Minister in response to a policing issue. No, I don't, chair. no, it's not a policing issue. That oh, chair, this, this meeting to... is about policing. Well, I know. The minister made a comment which, is, which was in direct reflection on those who were involved in a riot. No. Are you not allowing me to ask this I'm question? I'm not going to allow you to ask questions. It's not no, to do with this business. Is chair, 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 chair. The minister doesn't need me to guard. No, 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 hold on. This is a political forum. Because leaders, when they use language, actually cause problems for the police and how they're seen and the relationship. So it actually does, and I think... Hold on, hold on. It's completely legitimate. Hold on, Chair. It's completely legitimate. You're well able to answer it. Hold on. I don't... It's not about the minister, it's about the time of the committee. I'm oh, not here to guard I have the minister. three minutes to ask the question. Yeah. I would have asked it by now if you hadn't interrupted me. Okay, you've already asked the question. I mean, but no, you wouldn't let me finish. Fine. Okay, go ahead with the question then, quickly. The po- I want to give some context to it. You've I'm, not, already I'm, asked I'm, this I'm trying to be as fair as I possibly can. I want to be as fair as I possibly can. There are youth workers who say that their work has been made more difficult in trying to encourage young people not to fall into the trap of the far right or drug gangs or etc. All right? And there are people on the edges of all these actions, right? There are bad actors and those who are led by bad actors. And do you not accept that labelling the entirety of what happened, everybody involved, and using a phrase as classist as that, was a regrettable intervention from you and one that you should reflect on and I feel apologised for. Thanks, right, so the Chair, Barry Ward, allowed the question from Aon O'Reardon. We also heard Senator Lerner Wan in that clip, but let's hear from Minister McEntee now. So I've said what I've said. Uh, I won't take it back. Um, 
it's not a term that I would normally use. People know that. It's not language that I would normally use. Uh, I've said before, I don't think this was a normal situation. It's not something I've ever seen, ever. Um, I was not targeting a particular group of people, particular class of people, a particular area of people, a particular age group of people. I was referring to the behaviour. And I think for most people looking at what happened, burning of buses, guard the cars, looting, rioting, attacking members of Angarda Shia Khan, attacking other people, that's what I was reflecting. So again, it's not language I would normally use, um, but it was not an attack on any group of people. It was not in any way targeted at an area of our city, which has been suggested. Uh, it was not a reflection of the area itself where this happened. Uh, it was very much an expression of what happened uh, and the type of behaviour of what happened. Uh, and I think many people would agree that what we saw was just that. So, I, you know, I've said what I've said. It's Scumbag's not behaviour. That's a label. Helen McEntee, the Minister for Justice, uh, those retorts there from Lynn Rowan and uh, Aon O'Reardon. Helen McEntee is a, an inspiration to young women, according to one of her callers texting, saying what she said, she may have said an ace, but what would you call those troublemakers? Upstanding citizens? Uh, and uh, John Conlon and Barry McKenney in touch with us too about the interaction with uh, the chairperson there as to whether the question would be allowed or not. He said it sounded like my nephew's crash. Thanks, John as always for your message to the program today. Michael at lmfm.ie The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Family Carers Ireland has published its scorecard on how the government has performed in relation to 18 commitments it made in the programme for government on taking office. Let's hear a little bit more about how the government is faring. Catherine Cox is a spokesperson for Family Carers Ireland and on the line. Good morning, Catherine, and thanks for joining us as always. You've uh, categorised uh, how the government has performed in uh, terms like regressive, no progress, limited progress, good progress and commitment achieved. 18 commitments. Tell us more, if you would, please. Yes, so uh, Michael, as you said, and thanks for having me on. So basically we've scored the government and it's important to say we're scoring them based on the commitments that they made in their programme for government. Um, And if they had uh, introduced these 18 commitments, these would have had direct and very positive impact on family carers' lives. So um, we analysed how they did through parliamentary questions, uh, questions to the HSC, um, and we also obviously spoke to family carers across the country as well to get their input. So of the 18 commitments, um, unfortunately, they scored regressive on four of these. So that means things have actually got worse or gone backwards. They scored Um, Six received a score of no progress, so that speaks for itself. Five received a score of limited progress, um, and three did receive a score of good progress, which is positive, but unfortunately of the 18 commitments, um, (coughs) excuse me, Mm -hmm. not one 
uh, received a commitment achieved, unfortunately. Now, I would say that in the three that scored good progress, one of those was in relation to the pension, uh, which will come into force in January 2024 for long-term family care. So their recognition of their year's caring will be used as contributions towards the pension. That is very positive, but because it doesn't come in until next year, uh, January, unfortunately, they got a good rather than commitment achieved. But okay, look, but if the government... I'm sure, but if the government runs a, a, its full term until March of 25, uh, it's possible to fully uh, achieve all of these or some of these commitments, but not all of them. Uh, look, we, we absolutely, we have said this, there is still time for them, um, you know, to do good on these commitments. They still have a year plus, you know, we hope, um, to do that. So there is time. Um, look, some of the lows, I suppose, in terms of things that have gone backwards, and this would be no surprise to you and your listeners, are things like respite. Respite has got worse, not better for family cares, for people with disabilities still have children, you know, waiting on uh, waiting lists for a year, for two years, for three years, for vital therapies like physio, speech and language, occupational therapy. Uh, we have a huge shortage of home care workers and so home care hours have gone backwards as well. Um, and then Denying children assessments, early intervention is denying them, you know, potential to reach their full potential. So those things can be addressed. There is still time for this government to make good on their commitment, but we need them to do that and to act urgently. Right. Uh, And there's the day to day situation that people find themselves in and the costs that go with being a carer because it it is more expensive uh, for people and uh, there was a lot promised in trying to alleviate that burden. Uh, How's the government doing in respect of that? So look, um, like you said, the cost of caring can have a huge impact on a caring family and we had three family carers um, at our launch yesterday and all of them spoke about the additional cost of caring. So things like having to have their heating on 24-7 because the person that they're caring for needs that, having to have equipment plugged in, even the cost of extra continence pads, medications. Um, And look, on the other side of that then, we still have a carer's allowance payment that is a means-tested payment. And one of the things we have lobbied for over 20 years is that the carer's allowance should not be means-tested. It should be needs-tested based on the care being provided. And to be fair to Minister Humphrey, she's the first minister in 14 years to raise the income disregards for carers' allowance. It's moving in a good direction. But we need that to happen far quicker and we need the means test abolished for family care mm-hmm. and for carers' allowance. I take it, Catherine, many of your members will identify with uh, that research uh, we've been hearing uh, this morning from the Irish Cancer Society with terminally ill patients uh, uh, living and dying in cold conditions because they can't uh, afford to turn on the heat. Uh, But then who cares for the carers uh, is an age-old question as well. And carers were promised free GP care, weren't they? Yes. They were. So so basically what they said is free GP care would be extended to carers in receipt of the carers support grant. Now that's an important distinction. So at the moment carers in receipt of the carers allowance, the means that's the payment, can get the uh, GP visit card. But carers who are getting the carers support grant 
do not. So we ask that we extend it to include that group. It wouldn't have cost a huge amount. It's not a huge group. But very important, again, that they're recognised because the carers who get the care support grant are providing full-time care for their loved ones, 24-7 in many cases. So that didn't happen. Um, you know, there were other issues, like we asked for um, government committed to what they call a care guarantee, which would be whereby we would eliminate the postcode lottery of services and supports that currently exists for family carers and every carer regardless of where they live would have access to supports and services so that would have cost five million euro they've given two million of that five million but they have not released the other three million so that postcode lottery still exists unfortunately so again that's Mm -hmm. another commitment in the program for government we need to see that happen as well um so, and I mentioned respite, mm. you know, mm. respite for the family carer. And this is about the carers looking after their own mental and physical health and well-being and getting a break from their caring role. Three carers again yesterday, two of them spoke about never having got one night of respite, not mm. one night of respite. One of those carers is caring 20 years, you know, and not to have got any respite in that time. So respite is probably one of the biggest challenge facing carers. And we need our government to step up to recognize that. And at a minimum, a carer should be entitled to 20 days respite per year. Mm. I am as a, a worker in paid employment. Mm. People are entitled to 25, 30 days. Yet a family carer is expected to work 24-7 and not get one day off in the year. Okay, Catherine, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you, as always. Catherine Thanks Cox. so much, Michael. Thank you indeed. Catherine Cox of Family Carers Ireland. Uh, Paddy Duffy saying it's difficult to watch what's happening in Gaza on the TV. Uh, somebody else saying, I don't agree with Helen McEntee at the end of the day. The rioters are somebody's children. We shouldn't be calling them scumbags. Liz says the minister was right to call them scumbags. Uh, had to abbreviate them uh, because we're out of time. Thanks for listening, though. Uh, that's our programme for this week and God willing we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. Listen back to the Michael Reed Show podcast on lmfm.ie or the LMFM app. The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.